Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of Hosted Payload, the Satellite and Space Law Podcast. From the Wiley Law Firm in Washington, D.C., I'm Henry Gola. Spring has sprung in the D.C. area, and no matter the season, we know that gravity is a constant. Of course, prior to Isaac Newton in 1665, that wasn't the case. Newton's story involves a famous fruit, as according to his 1752 biography, gravitation was, quote, occasioned by the fall of an apple as he sat in a contemplative mood. Why should that apple always descend perpendicularly to the ground, thought he to himself, unquote. Today, my guest Shiva Gol and I will sit in a contemplative mood and reflect on the 2013 movie, Gravity. But first, big news from the FCC with some new rules set to be adopted for satellite spectrum sharing. We'll explain it all as my Wiley colleagues Peyton Alexander and Jillian Quigley join me for the Orbital Debrief. All right, let's kick off the Orbital Debrief. I know my 100-year-old grandma is listening, so before we get to in the weeds, I'm going to provide some high-level basics on spectrum for her and everyone else. First, radio waves can carry data wirelessly from a transmitter to a receiver, even to and from space. That's why we're here. A radio wave's frequency is the number of times it oscillates in one second, which is measured in hertz. Different radio frequencies, or spectrum bands, can be used for different uses, like mobile telephones, Wi-Fi, or satellite connectivity. In the United States, the FCC, or Federal Communications Commission, acts like a local zoning authority for commercial spectrum deciding what spectrum bands can be used for different purposes. The spectrum your mobile phone uses to connect to a cell phone tower is licensed on an exclusive basis by the FCC to a wireless carrier like AT&T or T-Mobile. By contrast, satellite systems that transmit into the United States generally operate in shared spectrum. For non-geostationary orbit, or NGSO, satellite systems, i.e. those that appear moving from Earth, the FCC has established a priority system for sharing. When one NGSO operator applies to use a particular spectrum band, the FCC opens up what it calls a processing round. Other operators that apply by the deadline to use the same spectrum will be on equal footing with the initial applicant in that processing round. If an operator applies to use the same spectrum after the deadline, a new processing round kicks off, and these later round operators must protect the operations of the earlier round grants. Simple stuff. So with that background in mind, I welcome my colleagues Peyton Alexander and Jillian Quigley. Uh, big news in the world of satellite spectrum, as the FCC has released a draft copy of new rules for spectrum sharing. We're going to focus on three of the most important aspects of the order. First, let's start with something all the kids are talking about, something called degraded throughput. Jillian, what does this mean, and what does it mean for satellite systems with different processing round priority? 
So degraded throughput is a metric that's used for interference mitigation among NGSO satellite systems. And so the order codifies that operators from later processing rounds either need to coordinate with operators in earlier rounds or demonstrate to the FCC that they won't cause harmful interference to those operators. And so for the interference demonstration option, the FCC will require operators to use a degraded throughput methodology to prove that they won't cause harmful interference to incumbent users. So degraded throughput methodology calculates the level of interference that later round entrants can cause to earlier round entrants uh, without causing severe signal degradation. And so when interference exceeds these levels, the later round entrant has to adjust their operations to be within the acceptable level. So the FCC adopted the degraded throughput methodology over two other options because it accounts for the mechanisms that NGO systems use to tolerate signal degradation from environmental effects and the analysis can be performed using widely available satellite system operational information. Got it. Okay, so environmental effects, we're talking things that normally affect um, how a satellite system operates, rain fade, things like that. Is that what they're considering here? Yes, and so um, pretty much anything that is a naturally occurring phenomenon that uh, satellite operators would experience in addition to um, interference caused by other operators. Got it. And so um, the big thing with degraded throughput methodology is unlike the other methods, it takes into account something called adaptive coding mod modulation or ACM. Um, believe it or not, many of us are already familiar with the concept of ACM because of how operators maintain uh, connection for customers, even when the signal quality goes down. So if I'm watching OG Star Trek reruns on my phone and the network experiences issues, what ACM does is it provides the video uh, to become pixelated and it'll degrade in quality instead of shutting the video off altogether. Have you, so um, have you ever watched OG Star Trek on your phone? I have watched it on my TV. Um, I haven't have watched you? it on my phone. I have not. I think I've watched William Shatner do the spoken word rocket man on my phone on YouTube, but I'm not sure I've watched OG Star Trek. All right, so is this the end for degraded throughput or is there more in store? Oh, there's so much more in store. Um, so the further notice is seeking comment on the appropriate values and assumptions that would be used in the degraded throughput methodology. And so that's essentially just the underlying framework that they're going to build off of for those calculations and levels and limits. All right. That is some seriously technical stuff, but important stuff in terms of spectrum, sh spectrum sharing between inter-round satellite operators. All right, Peyton, second, the FCC has put an expiration date on this priority and this inter-round sharing. Talk to me about sunsetting. So the order justifies uh, sunsetting as a balance between two competing goals here. So on the one hand, uh, just like Jillian discussed, uh, it wants to afford some protection to earlier round NGSO systems so that we can ensure a stable environment for continued service and investment, which is why it'll require coordination or the degraded throughput demonstration for inner round spectrum sharing. Uh, according to the FCC, uh, it wants to create some certainty for operators who are worried about the prospect of deploying these very costly systems only to be unable to use them to their fullest potential uh, due to interference from other operators. But at the same time, the FCC wants to promote competition from these later round systems without the inter-round protections lasting indefinitely. So 
The order provides for a 10-year sunset of these protections. NGSO systems will be entitled to protection from later approved systems until 10 years after the first authorization in that later processing round. And after that, all systems in both processing rounds will be treated on an equal basis with respect to spectrum sharing in those situations where no coordination agreement has been reached. Got it. Okay, so it's a balance of, of competition with with operational certainty and providing something for first in time for the for the first operators here. That's basically it. Right, right. Okay. All right. Third, the FCC provided some clarification on what it means by quote unquote good faith coordination, but uh, Jillian, did it require specific information to be exchanged between operators? Uh, so this order decided not to require specific information about what about what needs to be shared between operators. Instead, the FCC listed several quote unquote typically publicly available satellite specs that it quote unquote expects satellite operators won't withhold during coordination. Um, in addition to this, the order also made clear that any coordination has to be done in good faith. And then it reiterated that failure to do so would result in fines, modification, or even termination of NGSO licenses. So this is some right. pretty serious stuff. Yeah, so some some strong language, but um, some broad and malleable contours there from the FCC on good faith coordination. All right, so thanks for these explanations. Peyton, what's next in this proceeding? Right, so the FCC is going to vote on the order and further notice at its April 20, 2023 meeting, which is coming up. Uh, the new rules will become effective once they're published in the Federal Register. Uh, the Federal Register is also the trigger for the further notice on degraded throughput specifics with comments due 45 days after publication. All right. That is the crispest orbital debrief we've done thus far. And uh, I thank you for that. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time. Okay, welcome back to Hosted Payload. Today, I am joined by Shiva Goal. He's the legal advisor for wireless and international issues for FCC Commissioner Jeffrey Starks. Shiva, welcome. Thanks, Henry. Really happy to be here. All right. So today, we're going to be talking about the movie Gravity, which was released in 2013. It netted seven Oscars including a Best Director nod for Alfonso Cuaron. Shiva, I'll give a little description of the movie, and then I'm going to let you weigh in uh, with, with your thoughts. So it uh, stars Sandra Bullock as a scientist, Dr. Ryan Stone, on her first space mission, and George Clooney as veteran astronaut Matt Kowalski. They're part of a mission on the Space Shuttle Explorer to service the Hubble telescope, and they try to survive after space debris from an exploded Russian satellite strikes the Explorer in the Hubble and cuts off communication to mission control. Shiva, in FCC parlance, comments in support or petition to deny for gravity? Uh, well, Good, good question. Maybe this will be an informal objection. Um, yeah, that, that, is a, that is a real sort of inside baseball comment right there. <laughs> I, I love this movie. I, I had seen it before. I was happy to rewatch it, you know, uh, some you know, almost 10 years later. Um, but but sort of really beautiful movie with with obvious connection to, you know, significant matters of space policy here. 
Um, and, and I think a, a, just a really interesting historic frame of reference, right, about how uh, uh, Hollywood, how, how the public was viewing space back then um, in, in comparison to, to how, it, how it sort of might, might view it now, right? Like a, a lot has happened since this movie was filmed uh, that, that, that's really, really exciting. Um, and, and the sort of, you know, I, I am alone in space, uh, 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 a, a fairly dismal uh, a sort of place to be, a lonely place to be. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's the sort of hot, hot take now when, when you're looking at uh, uh, what, what folks are doing and, and interest in space tourism and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, oh. right. Of course. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of company. Well, first of all, you know, the ISS, as we all know, is is going to be transitioning yep. out of service and it's going to be replaced by commercial offerings. That's 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 upcoming within the next decade. So uh, certainly, certainly change there. You can't talk about gravity without talking about orbital debris. And, you know, that term often gets blank stares from friends and family, but when you say, you know, like in the movie Gravity, a light bulb goes off and they're like, oh yeah, I know what that is, right? So uh, thoughts thoughts on how it was presented in this movie, Shiva? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, d- Debris was really, and I, I don't think I appreciated this until I rewatched it, but it, it was the, the main plot catalyst here was, you know, a massive... Uh, a debris field, and um, you know the the, it, the the sort of storm was caused by a Russian ASAT weapon that, that hit an old satellite, um, and that in turn, in the theory of the movie, right, causes a huge chain reaction and takes out virtually every communication satellite uh, in Earth orbit, and um, and you know every ninety minutes, uh, based on you know where. Uh, uh, Kowalski and, and Stone are uh, servicing the, the Hubble. Um, you know, it, it just it, it is this. It, it is their uh, their deadline, right? To to fix something, to get to safer ground, uh, to figure out what to do. Um, in terms of what I think about it, right? Um, that that chain reaction part of it and how quickly it happens, uh, not particularly accurate, right? <laughs> Uh, I think there's a line where where Kowalski, who, who gives like lots of interesting uh, uh, educational commentary commentary throughout the uh, throughout the movie, well, as long as he lasts uh, throughout the movie, uh, you know, he, he says all of North America is is pissed off right now because they can't uh, access Facebook, right? And and maybe that's not exactly how the internet backbone works, but right, uh, but but like certainly a topical issue and totally inspired by real events and however sort of dramatized it was for a 105 minute uh, uh movie it, it's it portrays a, a real risk that has happened and is sort of you know as you know becoming more of a policy conundrum so i thought it was uh, uh you know interesting and in, in a inaccurate but a, a fair game portrayal here yeah, right. At the time the movie was made, there had been collisions in low Earth orbit, so it was not something out of the realm of possibility. And the Kessler 
effect, as it's known, was, you know, published in the late 70s, I believe, and then studied studied thereafter. But yeah, even since this movie's come out, and, you know, in the last year or two, there's been purposeful explosions of satellites in space again. So uh, debris is, 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 is real, and it's a real issue, and it's it's not going away. I want to go back to something you said. So um, you talked about the changes between when the movie came out and now and sort of, you know, the stone character being being alone in space and sort of talking Houston in the blind. Right. That's what she and her and Kowalski both are sort of talking to no one on Earth um, and then eventually stone talking to no one because Kowalski floats away Um what it, what what do you think has changed most between 2013 and 10 years later? Um, I, you know, so so much. I mean, I, I think that it's hard to pinpoint when this actually happened in time, right? But if you look at, and I'm not sure if this is exactly 2013 or you know 2011, it's sort of give or take. But if you look at that point in time, you know, what what are folks celebrating? They're they're celebrating. You know, the, the Voyager, a space probe from the 70s, uh, has reached interstellar space. That's that's cool. It's traveled billions of miles. That's that's cool, but but modest in terms of you know what, what we're doing in in space exploration. Um, I, I think like the Curiosity rover might have landed on Mars around this time too, and and, and that's you know obviously a, a more significant event. Um, but, but when you look at the commercial side of things, right? You know, SpaceX and, and Orbital pre, you know, pre-merger and then pre-acquisition uh, by Northrop, right? They are just beginning to run the first commercial cargo missions to the ISS. The Falcon 9, I think, launches its first commercial payload and SES satellite. Um, sometime around this, I, 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 the, the year escapes me, but sometime around this. Virgin is sort of touting space tourism as a, as a model. Worldview is doing the same thing. View with a, you know, V-I-E-U, not, not V-U. Um, and, and, you know, on the regulatory side, we're, we're sort of looking at our procedural rules, but, but we're not really uh, 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 looking at ways to keep up with uh, uh, fast-paced changes in, in space technology. Um, so it really was just at the beginning, at the cusp, the sort of commercial development of space that we see now. Um, and, and all of that seems to have, have taken place now where, it, you know, launches are, are easier to, to, to get. They're, they're more flexible. Uh, they're, they're more tailored to your payload. They're cheaper. Um, uh, uh, commercial companies are doing a whole lot more for NASA. Broadband satellite constellations are, um, you know, uh, uh, making headway in, in getting everybody connected. Earth imaging satellites, I think that's another sort of, uh, you know, we're, we're, they've bent the cost curve. They've, they've uh, significantly expanded access to, to you know, data and, and images about uh, uh, from Earth. And, and a lot of that, at least the momentum, like, seems to have followed when this movie was created, it was, it was still in the nascent phases when they were filming this movie. Right. I mean, all, all that's great point. And I, you know, you, you said the, 
the Earth imaging satellites, I thought an interesting point and one that I'm not sure was a great reason was they is they said the Russian satellite was shot down because it was a, likely was a spy satellite, which to me means that the fact that there was a Russian spy satellite was some sort of secret, where today I think we can readily assume that Russia, China, as well as the United States, all utilize various Earth observation satellites to keep track of what's going on on the ground. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, super interesting. And and perhaps another aspect of this that is, you know, Good, good movie inspiration, but you know this this isn't a documentary out there. So <laughs> that's right, that's right. So you know we talked about how there a lot of this movie is um, the Sandra Bullock character, Doctor Ryan Stone, by herself in space. A, a couple episodes ago, uh, uh, we talked about The Martian, where Matt Damon's character is alone on Mars. Do you prefer the space movie where it's sort of a solo um, person or more of like the buddy or group in space? Yeah, that, that is a good question. Um, I, I think I kind of prefer the, the solo uh, version of this, right? It, it is so much more gripping. It becomes a, a little bit more of a, a, a psychological thriller, or equal part sort of, you know, uh, suspense built up uh, just because of what's happening in someone's head, um, and not necessarily, you know, strictly based on the challenges they're, they're facing in space. And, and that's a pretty, you know, uh, pretty interesting to mention. But you know, it depends on mood, right? Like, uh, there's always room for a, a feel good movie, um, where, you know, uh, 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 we, we confront some challenge in space as a, as a nation or as a world and, and, and uh, the country comes together, the, the world comes together and, and there's a celebration at the end. And you know, c- certainly there are uh, movies that have followed that formula too and, and, and there's a place for them. You know, what's interesting is that now that I'm thinking about it too, with The Martian and this movie, they both, maybe less so in this movie um, on purpose, but they both involved cooperation and utilization of Russian and Chinese space assets. Um, This one in particular, um, Dr. Stone utilizes a, a Russian craft to go to the Chinese space station. Um, no one was alive at either one. She's she's definitely by herself. Um, but I I, I I found that interesting. I, and I, I wonder if the same uh, the same thought would be there ten years later uh, in in cooperation um, with with these other countries. Um, yeah, that, that that's a great point. You know, I, uh, cer- certainly cooperation continues in in space, even um, you know between rivals where you wouldn't expect anything to happen but um but we are seeing uh you know greater risks with the weaponization of space um we are seeing uh, obviously a, a very large uh, uh country uh, uh with a, a an established uh, history in space um 
doing a bunch of uh, uh, horrible things that we we don't like um, down here on the ground. And and I think you're right, right? Like, if this movie is made in in 2023, um, it, it's it's going to look. It, it, there's maybe going to be pressure on the narrative, right? Um, right. That that you didn't see back then. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to make an admission that uh, this was the first time I saw this movie. You know, I was aware of its concepts, but it came out in 2013, which due to that also being the year my twin girls were born is sort of like a two year starts a two year pop culture black hole for me. (laughs) So I, I, I say that because, you know, I haven't read articles or fan theories or anything like that. I came in really fresh uh, to the movie. So with that in mind, you know, my theory is that the entire movie is a dream sequence for Dr. Stone that sort of tracks her through the grief and eventual acceptance of the death of her four-year-old daughter. What do you think? Is my complete? Am I completely off? Is this actually a space movie? Or I, I am. I am a much more literal person than you. you know, very <laughs> clearly, that that did not not you know, that did not cross my mind at all. And in fact, you know, th- there is a part of the movie uh, where uh, you know K- Kowalski disappears and then he reappears uh, at a time, right? Uh, where you know in. in Dr. Stone's psychology shoot, she really uh, uh, needs a boost. And I, w- when that first happened, I think probably 99% of the viewing audience was like, oh, this is a hallucination. He's clearly not there in real life. And, you know, part of me was like, oh my gosh, he's back. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I, I love that theory. You know, it, it's good to sort of uh, re- read things into into movies that, that may have not been intended. Um, you know, but part of what I really liked, uh, kind of on that score, was you know h- how they shot the movie, um, and, and I, I had done some reading about this, where you know Sandra Bullock and George Clooney spend half the movie spinning around uh, at right. varying rates of speed, um, and you know obviously it is quite hard to do that with actors, um, so so they ended up moving the cameras or, or sort of doing a little bit of both. Um, and, you know, sure, surely that was a, a convenience and a cost and a sort of risk-based decision. Um, but, but it was also sort of a good reminder that um, when you're talking about space, you know, relative motion is what we perceive. And, right. and that ends up being super important with satellites and all sorts of things in space. Um, of, of course. Of course. Yeah. And they had to do it in a way where you felt the motion of the astronauts but you weren't making the audience sick right you you really need to thread the needle there which i think is a lot it's a you know it's easy for me and you to say that but i bet was a a big challenge for the director and the cinematographer and the special effects folks all of whom won academy awards and and deservedly so um i mean it, it holds up right uh Things were pretty advanced in filmmaking in 2013, but yeah, sometimes when you watch some a movie that's more than 10 years old or about 10 years old, um, you know, you're kind of reminded at, at, at uh, how far uh, special effects and filmmaking have gone, and, and it, it really wasn't the case with this. It, it holds up so well. Oh yeah, it, def- it definitely held up, and it, it's probably, you know, 
it's probably the time and investment. I saw today when I was, you know, looking on IMDb to recite the background that the special effects took three years to do um, all the background shots of, of Earth and, you know, and, and space. So that's a that's a big chunk. And I think, you know, maybe not all movies that have special effects have such a a long lead time nowadays yeah. uh, to make that now, happen. Now that you're talking about it, I, I, I'm almost surprised this this ever got you know greenlit, right? Right. This day and age, uh, some some outlet, some studio is going to greenlight like just about anything. But um, but like back then, there there were there were real standards, and um, you know you're talking about. Uh, so, so something that that happens at, at a time when when perhaps the, the public consciousness is as we discussed earlier not not quite tapped into um the uh, uh possibilities in space and, and yet they did it and they did it very well and they put a ton of money behind it shiva anything else to add no this was this was lovely and um you know great selection i i will admit at the end this might be the first feature length film uh, that I've actually seen uh, since my second daughter was born um, <laughs> 15 months ago. Uh, so, so I was glad just to have an excuse to, to watch something here and, and certainly fun to, to talk about it with you. So thanks, Henry. Uh, very, very happy to do so. <laughs> thanks for joining me, Shiv. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. That'll do it for episode three of Hosted Payload. For more information on Wiley's space and satellite law practice, visit wiley.law and search for space, satellite, or TMT. I'm Henry Gola, and we'll see you next time.